Are you ready to boost your longevity and unlock peak performance? Welcome to the Longevity and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Claudia from Berzalaga, longevity and peak performance coach. Each week, we'll explore groundbreaking science, unravel longevity secrets, share strategies to grow younger, and stay up to date with world-class health and peak performance pioneers. Everything you need to live longer, live better, and reach your fullest potential. Ready to defy aging, optimize health, and promote peak performance? Visit LLinsider.com for more. This episode is brought to you by Lila Quantum Tech. In the past two centuries, our understanding of longevity has revolutionized. From a mere 30 years average lifespan in 1800 to nearly 80 years today, we've made incredible strides. Now it's time to embrace the future of aging with Lila Quantum Tech. Lila Quantum Tech brings you products charged with quantum energy designed to restore balance and vitality. These products can help in managing stress, improving sleep quality, and promoting mental clarity, contributing to a younger biological age. Our modern lifestyles can accelerate aging, and EMF radiation is everywhere. With Lila Quantum Tech, you can combat this trend and focus on utilizing the balancing effects of quantum energy to maintain your youthfulness and shield yourself and your loved one's well-being. To bring balance to your everyday life, boost your health and vitality, visit lelac.com, that's L-E-E-L-A-Q.com, and embark on a journey to a longer, healthier life. And for you, dear audience, get a 10% discount on Lila Quantum Tech products with code LONGEVITY10, that's L-O-N-G-E-V-I-T-Y, one zero at checkout today. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Taylor, PhD. Steve is a distinguished psychologist and best-selling author on psychology and spirituality, having written over 14 books, including The Leap and The Calm Center. He's a senior lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University and the chair of the Transpersonal Psychology Section of the British Psychological Society. Steve's articles and essays have been published in over 100 academic journals, magazines, and newspapers, and he blogs for Scientific American and Psychology Today. Eckhart Tolle of The Power of Now has described his work as an important contribution to the shift in consciousness which is happening on our planet at present. Welcome to the Longevity and Lifestyle podcast, Steve. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, Claudia. Great to be with you. I'm so fascinated by this topic of spirituality and consciousness. And I love the fact that your new book that's coming out or has just come out in the US and is coming out elsewhere, entitled The Adventure, A Practical Guide to Spiritual Awakening. (laughs) Because I know so many people are like, I don't understand the concept of it, etc. So for people listening that mightn't be that familiar with it, would be, could you share with us your perspective on spirituality and how you became interested in psychology and spirituality? A lot of people associate spirituality with religion, but that's not necessarily the case. Spirituality, to me, it's something which exists apart from religion. And it's really about an opening of awareness. It's about an expansion of awareness. And it involves connections. It's about transcending separation and intensifying your connection 
So that means a connection to your own deeper being, your connection to nature, to the world around you, also your connection to other people. Um, and spirituality assumes that the normal human state is a state of discord and suffering. So in, when you expand your identity, when you increase your connection to yourself and to other beings, then you transcend suffering and move towards a more harmonious state. So all, all of the spiritual traditions in the world, like Buddhism, Taoism, Vedanta, Sufism, mystical Christianity and Judaism, they all, you know, they all interpret this movement from discord to harmony or from separateness to connection. They all interpret it and describe it in different ways, but it's essentially the same journey. And you can take that journey outside the context of any religion or any spiritual tradition. So for me, um, there wasn't really a specific moment when I became interested in spirituality. It, it always seemed to be inside me from, from being a teenager. When mm. I was a teenager, I started to have what I now understand to be spiritual experiences of connection to my surroundings, a sense of harmony with the world, moments when everything around me would become alive and radiant and, and full of meaning, and I'd feel connected to everything around me. Um, but at the time, I didn't understand those experiences. I thought maybe I was crazy, which I probably was. By normal standards. <laughs> but um, so it was only a few years later, when I was in my early 20s, that I began to read books about mysticism and spirituality. And then mm -hmm. I began to understand my own experiences. I, had, I, I began to build up a framework to make sense of my own experiences. And that, that ultimately led me into psychology because I wanted to understand these experiences, my own experiences and other people's experiences from a psychological mm -hmm. perspective. Steve, can you share how your understanding of spirituality has shaped your life and the world around you? When I was younger, I, I absorbed a, a, a materialist view of reality from my education and from my family. So I believed kind of without thinking about it, I took on this belief that human beings are basically machines, kind of genetic machines. The world is full of mechanistic objects. And there's nothing, there was nothing, you know, spiritual about reality. Reality was just materialistic. It was just physical. And even, you know, when I thought about my own mind or thoughts, I assumed that everything about me was created by the brain. Um, but once I began to study spirituality and have my own spiritual experiences, and I realized that that's a false view of reality. I, re I realized that in reality, everything is sentient. Everything is full of spirit. Everything is sacred, including the, the human body and including all natural objects. And I began to realize that everything is interconnected. You know, there are, there are lots of objects around us which seem to be separate, independent things, but there's a level on which everything is interconnected, and there is a level in which I am connected to everything around me. So once I absorbed that worldview, then the world became a much more meaningful and beautiful place. And can you share a bit, because some people listening or hearing about like these spiritual experiences happening, um, would you say that actually most people would have spiritual experiences, but they don't always recognize that or they don't always, you know, listen to it, if you will? And could you share a little bit more what was happening? Were they triggered by a certain event or um, they just came naturally? Most people do have spiritual experiences but they may not understand them in that context. Mm -hmm. I, I prefer to call them actually awakening experiences because mm -hmm. they are experiences in which we, we wake up a little bit and reality becomes more real and we feel a sense of connection 
to our surroundings. Most people have that from time to time, even if it just happens once or twice in their whole lives. You know, it may happen when they're walking in the countryside on a beautiful day, looking mm-hmm. at a beautiful landscape. Mm-hmm. It may happen when they fall in love. It sometimes mm-hmm. happens when we're listening to music at a concert and we feel uplifted and the music seems to enter our, enter our being and take mm-hmm. us to a transcendent place. It sometimes happens, happens during meditation while we're doing yoga or some other kind of psycho-spiritual exercise. So I think most people do have those experiences. But I think one of the issues is that because a lot of people don't understand these experiences, they, they forget, forget about them or they even repress them. They have them and think, oh, that was nice, but I don't really understand what happened there. So mm-hmm. they put it to the back of their minds and sort of forget about it. And as I say, sometimes people... Maybe people are not religious and they have these experiences, but they and they, they think that these experiences are somehow, you know, they're not kind of viable because they're not religious. They don't know how to interpret them. But it, in my case, um, these experiences, they were, and they still are, because I, I still have them quite often. They're usually connected to nature, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm walking in the woods or walking in the hills or also swimming. I love to swim, especially I love to swim in the ocean. So I get these experiences of oneness when I'm in the ocean and I feel that I'm part of the water and I can sense my oneness with the whole of the ocean spreading over the surface of the earth. So nature is is a great way to have these experiences. But they they often happen, you know, in any situation when we we become very relaxed. You know, what seems to stop these experiences occurring is when our minds are too busy, when our lives are too busy. The monkey mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But when we step off the treadmill of activity mm-hmm. and we just lie down or sit down in quietness without, you know, listening, well, without sort of looking at screens or um, mm-hmm. without conversing with other people, when we just have a few moments of silence and solitude, that's when these experiences are more likely to occur. So can you share in your view, what is the, the beauty that lies within having these awakening experiences um, for people maybe unfamiliar or who haven't identified that they're potentially have been having them as well um, and then I'd love to dig into your practical guide to spiritual awakening right so what are the modalities people can do to cultivate these states of being the, these these experiences they show us that the world is a, a meaningful and harmonious place they show us that our normal vision of reality is somehow limited you know mm-hmm. the, the, these experiences are like a glimpse into a, a transcendent reality mm-hmm. and once you have that glimpse you know it's there. You never forget that it's there. So it gives you a more optimistic vision of reality. Mm-hmm. You know, you, even if you don't have access to it, you know it's there. And you know that there is a possibility of gaining access to it again. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who have these experiences. They, they start to meditate. They live a more, they live a healthier, more holistic lifestyle because they sense that that's the way to return to the, these experiences. Mm-hmm. People have an intuition that it is, it is possible to return there. And you can even cultivate these experiences on an ongoing basis. You know, if you, if you follow the right practices, if you, if you live the right kind of lifestyle. So people intuit that. And it, so it gives them hope. You know, it gives them hope and, and meaning for the future. One of the myths about spiritual awakening is that it's only possible if you're a, a monk or a mystic living in a monastery, living mm-hmm. detached from everyday life. And all of the you know activity and stress of everyday life. Well, that, that's not the case. You know, as long as you're a human being, you you have the potential and the possibility 
to go through a process of awakening, of awakening. Another issue is that the idea of enlightenment is quite vague and obscure for most people. People don't really know what it means. So in my book, I try to highlight exactly what it means to be enlightened or awakened. I highlight eight essential qualities which awakened people demonstrate in their lives. And mm -hmm. I create a lot of exercises and meditations to cultivate these qualities. So by cultivating the qualities, you can actually cultivate awakening uh, in itself. And, mm -hmm. you know, so, so I, I call my book a, a practical guide to spiritual awakening. So, you know, I think of it as a, as a travel book. You know, you have these travel books which tell you how to get to certain places, <laughs> which tell you the best places to visit. So I think of it in those terms, you know, we're exploring the landscape of, of enlightenment, which mm -hmm. is quite, you know, it's terra incognita for most people. It's obscure and unfamiliar. But if you have a guidebook, you know, you, you can explore the, the landscape in a productive way. You can cultivate the qualities that are needed to survive in the landscape. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it will take you to a destination within that landscape. And the destination, although it's not a fixed destination, because I don't think enlightenment is an endpoint, but it's, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you follow the right instructions, you will, you will arrive at that destination. And it's almost, would you not say, a destination inwards? Right, so you actually, it's that roadmap as well. Yeah, it's um, it's inwards, but it's also outwards as well. You know, yeah. it's a place yeah. where the inner and the outer <laughs> merge yeah. and become one. But that, I mean, what, what, I think one of the essential issues is that most people, I mean, this is the way we're conditioned. We're conditioned to think that happiness and fulfillment are external things that mm -hmm. we can gain through following certain external ways of life, through mm -hmm. accumulating possessions, through accumulating mm -hmm. achievements through meeting certain people or having certain experiences. But the lesson of, of spiritual development is that happiness is not an external thing. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, something that you can gain through doing or having certain things. It's an internal quality which you can only cultivate in the mode of being, you know. So it's like I sometimes talk about in terms of different modes of seeking happiness. You can seek happiness by doing or by having. Mm -hmm. But the, really, the most essential way to cultivate happiness is through being, through changing your state of being. On a, on a surface level, that could be changing the way you think. Mm -hmm. But on a deeper level, it's entering into your inner being and learning to rest within yourself, developing a, an equanimity and self-sufficiency and mm -hmm. a sense of harmony within yourself. Which is, yeah, I think so beautiful when one can do that. And what would you say? I mean, we know it's the ego, right? But why is it that the ego gets in the way so often? And um, how can people raise awareness? What is driving them? Is it, you know, the ego <laughs> and, and that voice and telling them? Or is it coming from a deeper, more spiritual place? How does one differentiate between the two and, and raise that awareness of, of that inner talk, that dialogue that's going on? One of the most serious issues with human beings is that we tend to live at the surface of our mind. Mm. A, lot, a, lot of, a lot of us experience a surface thought chatter, a kind of restless voice within our heads, replaying conversations, thinking about the future, replaying events from the past, mm. uh, projecting events in the future, or just random associations which happen to pass through our minds. We, we live amongst that voice. You know, that voice is our normal sense of identity. But when we, when we identify with that voice and live at the surface of our minds, it's always a discordant place because the voice is so restless. Mm -hmm. And the voice tends to generate 
negativity tends to generate worries and fears and resentments. It just tends to gravitate towards negative processes and negative aspects of our experience. So it's it's always, if you identify with that voice, it's always a, a place of suffering. Your life is always uneasy and uncomfortable. So what you need to do is to either, well, you've got two ways you can go about it. You can quieten the voice, you can make it calm, or, mm -hmm. and you can dive beneath the voice to a deeper level of your being, like a diver who dives beneath the surface of the ocean. And there's mm -hmm. always discord on the surface of the ocean, but as soon as you dive beneath the surface, then you're mm -hmm. in a place of harmony and stillness. So that mm -hmm. harmony and stillness is always inside us. It's just obscured by the surface restlessness within our minds. Mm -hmm. And so that's essentially what we need to do, calm the surface of our minds so that we can dive beneath it and mm -hmm. center ourselves from a, a more harmonious, more still place within us. And so some people listening might be like, okay, well, you know, easier said than done. I've tried to make it. I've tried yoga. I've tried this. And, you know, I'm stressed and I have to do this. And I have to take care of my elderly parent, whatever the case may be, right? There's always the excuses are always there for us as well. And I'm sure you've spoken to many, many, many people on this topic as well. So what are some modalities or practices you recommend people start with to start cultivating a practice that will help them? Obviously, everybody's a bit different and everyone, maybe some person needs to walk and, and, and different modalities. But what do you see as some helpful practices that can help to cultivate this path? The first uh, quality we need to develop is what I call disidentification from the ego. Disidentification is quite a long word. It's quite difficult to pronounce, but it's quite simple, really. It just means realizing that you are not the voice in your head, mm -hmm. that your real identity is the, the person who actually observes that voice. Because if you mm -hmm. think about it, you know, there's always a place inside you which can watch or observe your thoughts passing by. And once you find that space between you and your thoughts, then you become free of the influence of your thoughts mm -hmm. and your thoughts begin to slow down. So I have an exercise which I sometimes call the riverbank exercise, mm -hmm. which is where I ask people to visualize themselves sitting on a riverbank on mm -hmm. a warm summer's day, and they watch the river flow by a few meters in front of them. And they're aware that they are not the river. The river is just flowing by where they were in a place of stillness, observing it. Mm -hmm. So I ask them to take the same perspective with their thoughts. So they sit in a still place within them, within their being, and they watch the stream of thoughts pass by, aware that they are not their thoughts. And obviously sometimes, you know, it's bound to happen that our thoughts carry us away again. You know, we find ourselves a few meters downstream. But then we just sort of gently step out of the river again and place ourselves back on the river, sit down on the riverbank. So you, you have to do that a few times. But eventually, you know, you create, you become aware of this space between you and your thoughts and you cease to identify with your mm -hmm. thoughts. And that practice itself has its own momentum. The more you do it, the easier it becomes and the more fulfilling you feel. You feel a greater sense of ease as you realize mm -hmm. that. And, and I recommend, you know, a couple of other practices too, uh, mm -hmm. which we don't tend to go into here. But it, it, it is a process. It's not easy, especially in the beginning. But once you begin it, as I say, it, it picks up momentum. It becomes easier the more you mm -hmm. do it. You know, once you realize that you are not your thoughts, 
you never become them again. I mean, I have that awareness. So I'll <laughs> share with myself and I've done different meditation practices and um, I find sometimes I'm much better at the awareness and cultivating. And sometimes if I'm in that doing and a lot of long to-do lists and all this action, then it's much more in the mind and it's much trickier to kind of come back to center. And obviously through breath and different practices as well, it's very helpful. But the quality of life, I agree, is just such exponentially different if you those practices are built into my day, into my life and, and to take a step back. And I mean, I believe it's a journey for me, 100%. Um, as you said, I don't think there's a destination, but it's just remembering to keep in the practice as well, because the monkey mind is just very powerful. Steve, I'd love to, if you could take us through the eight qualities of wakefulness that you described and you mentioned before. The first one, uh, which we've already discussed, is disidentification from the ego. And I sometimes describe that as the, the essential initial quality in the journey of awakening, mm-hmm. because you can't undergo awakening unless you... Uh, go through that initial process of disidentifying with the ego. Mm-hmm. So it's the it's gateway into awakening, if you like. Mm-hmm. And after that, I ask people to develop the quality of gratitude. Mm. And a sense of gratitude is one of the essential differences between awakened people and the normal human state. You know, when you awaken, you become free of the, the taking for granted syndrome. So mm-hmm. you see blessings all around you in your Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. then there is presence Mm -hmm. which literally means living in the moment living in the now rather than thinking about the past and and the future Mm -hmm. it means giving all of your attention to your experience in the present moment then altruism or giving to the world in kindness and generosity and benevolence Mm -hmm. to the people around you then the fifth quality is acceptance which means accepting your life situation, accepting the activities and the challenges which life throws our way. Then I discuss integration with the body, living in harmony with the body, mm-hmm. which is very important because some spiritual traditions have a rather negative attitude to the body. They mm-hmm. see it as something to be transcended or something which opposes spiritual development. But mm-hmm. I think it's really important to to be aware of the spiritual aspects of the body and to develop the body alongside our inner being in mm-hmm. harmony with our inner being. Then the seventh quality is detachment, which means not being dependent on external things for our well-being and identity. Uh, external things like possessions or achievements mm-hmm. or beliefs and ambitions. Mm-hmm. And finally, the eighth quality is embracing mortality, which means being aware of the temporary nature and the fragility of our, of our of our life in this form in this world i know from some people when they hear presencing they think well you know i need to get things done i have to move forward i have to make a plan i can't just be in the present moment what is your view on how to apply presencing in everyday life so that you can make plans you can do things but um you're still able to be present at least at regular intervals during the day. Interestingly, presence is not opposed to activity. Doing and being are not necessarily mm-hmm. in opposition to each other. You can mm-hmm. actually be present when you are active. In fact, you know, activity becomes much more fruitful and much more enjoyable mm-hmm. when you're when you're present. There was, there was a there was a spiritual teacher called Krishnamurti who said that 
He didn't like the idea of meditation because the idea of meditation was that you spend 15, 20 minutes sitting quietly in the morning and then you sort of run around all day causing chaos, <laughs> being stressed out yeah. just because you've had these 20 minutes in the morning. Mm-hmm. So he, his idea was, that, which is my, you know, my preference too, is that you integrate presence into your daily life. Mm-hmm. And it's great. You can, you know, the great thing about presence is you can do everything in a state of presence. You can have a shower in a state of presence. You can brush your teeth in a state of presence. You can eat breakfast in a state mm-hmm. of presence. You can walk to the subway station. You can do anything in a state of presence. It, it, it just means being aware of your surroundings, mm-hmm. being aware of your own feelings, your own being in that moment. And as I mentioned before, when you when you do these things in a state of presence, mm-hmm. they become much more much richer. Mm-hmm. You you begin to savor things much more. Eating is a great example. You know, if you rush your lunch, you, you know, you don't really taste it mm-hmm. and maybe you don't, you don't digest it very well mm-hmm. because you're eating too quickly. But yeah. if you eat in a state of presence, you know, the food mm-hmm. tastes great. You know, the act of eating is much more enjoyable mm-hmm. and your digestion is a lot better because you're eating slowly and mindfully. Mm-hmm. So that, that applies to everything. You know, one of the things I say in the book is that everyday life can be a spiritual practice in you know, every mm-hmm. aspect of our lives can be part of our spiritual practice. Which is a much better way to live on, on many fronts. Um, and you actually enjoy your lunch then as well. But just to see the beauty in, in, the, in the moments, I think it's that sort of stop to smell the flowers. And I think children are always such, young children are always such a beautiful example because they're so yeah. present and they see things that otherwise, typically we as adults, if we're running around or if we're not in our present mode, right? We just don't even notice as well exactly yeah. i remember when my when my first son i've got three kids when my first son was uh, a toddler mm-hmm. i used to think of him think of him as my mindfulness teacher because oh. <laughs> he, like, like you say he was stopping all the time to uh, picking up leaves and empty uh-huh. crisp packets from the ground picking up stones and stopping to look at trees and i thought yeah this is this is the right thing to do you know so <laughs> I just joined in with him and it was it was Great wonderful. <laughs> exactly. Steve, I'd love to touch on psychedelics and how do you perceive the role of psychedelics in fostering deeper connection with one's surroundings and oneself? Psychedelics can be very useful for people who've never had an awakening experience. Mm-hmm. They can give people awakening experiences. And as as I said before, once you have an awakening experience, an awakening experience, the world is never quite the same place. Mm-hmm. You you know that there is this transcendent dimension to reality which you can gain access to again. So psychedelics are fantastic in that regard. You know they can open people to this wider reality, and, the, and psychedelics can be very very therapeutic too. There's a lot of research coming out. Well, it's been it's been going on, been going on for about ten years now. There's a new wave of research into the therapeutic potential of psychedelic. Yeah, you're probably aware of it. They they can be very therapeutic for people suffering from deep depression or addiction. PTSD, but but I'm somewhat dubious about the the long term effects of psychedelics. I don't think you should regularly take psychedelics as a way of as a tool of creating enlightenment. Mm. I don't think it works. You know, I think once we have that initial glimpse through psychedelics, we should turn to more organic forms of spiritual practice, like meditation Mm -hmm. or -hmm. contact with nature or altruism. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you know the regular use of psychedelics has some risks as, as well particularly mm-hmm. if it's not in a controlled environment yeah. if you're buying psychedelics from you know off the street that can be quite mm-hmm. risky mm-hmm. so so i there was this, there was this you've probably heard of alan watts the spiritual teacher from the 60s and 70s he was asked about psychedelics and he said 
in his very posh English voice, he said, once you get the message, hang up. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how I feel, you know, it's great to get the message, but you don't need to get the message again once you've had it. As you were saying as well, for the therapeutic benefits, I've been reading research and, and speaking to doctors who treat war veterans, et cetera, particularly in the US. And I mean, the impact is very profound, but exactly. I think if you're looking for an external crutch almost for internal awakening or spiritual awakenings, you're not necessarily getting the the practice right. Um, So it's more tuning into what are you running away from and and looking for inside and and understanding yourself, I guess, a bit better with it too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think so. I think they can can be very useful, but I think they, they show you the they show you the place where you should need to get to, but they mm-hmm. don't necessarily give you the means of getting there. Yeah. I mean, they say a lot that the integration piece is so essential. That's like 90 percent of the work for a lot of people who do have psychedelic experiences that they think, you know, it's not just once and done. Right. It's then all the processing and understanding, um, et cetera. Um, And I'm curious to hear your view. I mean, there's different sort of forms of you had these spiritual awakenings, you said, as a teenager, etc. But I know a few people who've had like more of a Kundalini awakening sort of out of nowhere. And then it took, you know, one, two plus years of repurposing and and transitioning to a new state of consciousness. Can you share more about, you know, these type of experiences? Why, in your view, do they happen so start in such a startling way for, for certain people? I found in my research that spiritual awakening, it can sometimes be a very gradual process, particularly if you follow a certain path or a practice. Um, You know, it can be a very, quite a kind of calm and gradual process that takes place over years or decades. But -hmm. in other people, it can be a very sudden experience. Usually it's connected to psychological turmoil. So when, Mm -hmm. when, when certain people go through intense turmoil or trauma, Mm-hmm. They may experience a very sudden and dramatic awakening that sometimes comes after a diagnosis of cancer, after mm-hmm. a long period of addiction, a period of intense stress, or maybe after a bereavement. It's not uncommon after a bereavement. Mm-hmm. Any kind of major shock to our mind or and body can bring about a sudden awakening. And it's mm-hmm. almost as if sudden shocks and trauma, they break down our normal identity. They break mm-hmm. down the normal ego. Mm-hmm. Just in the same way that a, a tidal wave breaks down a, a building or, or an earthquake. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when the normal ego breaks down, a new self arises in its place. Mm-hmm. In some people, it's almost as if there's a, a kind of latent higher self waiting to be born inside them. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a, like a chick which is ready to hatch from mm-hmm. an egg. But it can only do that once the normal ego has faded or has, has uh, dissolved away. Mm-hmm. But that's not that because it's so sudden. And dramatic, it's often an explosive experience which causes disruption. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, almost like an earthquake. It's, it's an earth, it can be like an earthquake to a whole mind and body system. Mm-hmm. It can cause mm-hmm. uh, psychological issues. It can, you know, take a while to, for the mind to restructure itself again. Mm-hmm. People may have problems with memory, with concentration, with functioning in their daily lives. Um, it can also cause physio- physiological issues, you know, sudden pains in the body, a kind of explosive energetic feelings that rise through the body, which are described as Kundalini awakenings. So, yeah, it can, it can take a long time for all of that to settle down again. Just mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like I sometimes describe it, compare it to a slow motion earthquake. It takes mm-hmm. a while for the ground to settle again after an earthquake. Mm-hmm. So 
a sudden Kundalini-like awakening is, is like that. In some cases, it can take years for it to settle down properly. But I found in my research that it does always settle down eventually. You know, people always do manage to integrate their new state of being eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the worst case scenario, that takes years, but it mm-hmm. does happen in the end. To be able to reintegrate them as well. Yeah. I'd also love to look at diet and hear your view on diet and the connection between spiritual awakening. So what do you need to change in your diet? Is there any certain foods also that you think are limited or, for example, one friend was asking um, after having a type of Kundalini awakening, there was the body just wasn't looking for certain meats and certain foods as well. What what has happened? I wrote about this in my new book because um, one of the things I've noticed about people who undergo spiritual awakenings, they do change their diet quite radically. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this is true for me, actually. I, I sort of, I was back probably in my late 20s when I shifted into a, a kind of ongoing, uh, calm, spiritual state, rather than a kind of crazy up and down um, <laughs> experience. Mm-hmm. But, th- but up to that point, I'd lived a very unhealthy lifestyle. I never really cared about diet. I used to mm-hmm. smoke. I never mm-hmm. used to do any exercise. I used to drink quite a lot. Mm-hmm. When I shifted to this more ongoing spiritual state, I realized, I just sensed that something had to change. I had to change my diet. So I became a vegetarian. I stopped mm-hmm. smoking. Mm-hmm. I cut down on coffee, on, al- on alcohol. It, it just felt right. You know, I had to attune my body towards my spiritual state. And everybody mm-hmm. who undergoes awakening, you know, undergoes that shift in attitude a lot of people start exercising you know they start eating organic food they often become vegetarians or vegan they realize that the body is sacred and they realize that they have to attune to their body they have to bring their inner being into harmony with their body i think it's a, it's a question of sensitivity you know mm-hmm. when you undergo some degree of spiritual awakening you do become much more sensitive to food and, you know, the idea of, you know, I, I have nothing against anybody who's not a vegetarian, but mm-hmm. when people undergo spiritual awakening, they sense that it doesn't feel right to, to eat animal flesh. It, somehow it doesn't feel, you know, they become sensitive to the impurities, maybe the wrong word, but it suddenly doesn't seem right about it. And the same with mm-hmm. alcohol. So, they, so overall, they live in a much simpler and healthier way. Mm-hmm. Because in some sense, they want to feel pure. You know, they want their purity of their inner being needs to be in harmony with some degree of purity in the body as well. And of the mind too. Yeah. So would you say that with the development of um, the spiritual awakening process, that there's more better connection with the body and more intuition, if you will, um, of understanding what serves one? Um, And is this a practice you would think that people could check in with regularly um check in with what your intuition what is your body saying because i know we're a lot of us and i used to be very much cerebral mm. like my mind thinks this so let me do that um what are modalities people can do to to understand and to tap into like listening to the body a bit better to protect it it's a lot to do with no longer being separate to your body it's about being connected to your body i think mm-hmm. to some degree in the normal human state there is a sense of duality with the body mm. you know we feel like we are, we're living up here in our minds and the body mm-hmm. is a kind of vehicle which we happen to carry around <laughs> or which mm-hmm. we happen to occupy mm-hmm. but you know ideally and this is something which arises naturally in spiritual awakening 
you know, there is no disconnection between you, you and your body. Your body is part of your being. It's a manifestation of your spirit. There's no mm. question of the body being other to you or to your spirit. So you, so you do naturally begin to attune to your body and you begin to trust your body. Mm-hmm. And I think overall, the body becomes sacred. You know, mm. I think in spiritual awakening, all the material world becomes sacred. You know, everything around you becomes spiritualized. You know, you, you see the, the beauty and the meaning in all the things around you. And that applies to your body too. You know, you also become aware of the the millions of microscopic processes that take place every moment of the day within your body to help you to help you stay healthy and alive and conscious. Mm-hmm. So you so you no longer you no longer take the body for granted. Mm-hmm. You become aware of how precious and how valuable it is. And all of that manifests itself in a much more positive relationship to the body. What are some misconceptions or common challenges that people may encounter on their spiritual journey? And how do you address them in your teachings? One of the um, misconceptions is that spiritual awakening is something extraordinary and rare and kind of earth shattering. Mm -hmm. But there's something kind of ordinary about it as well. It it can be, you you can definitely have earth shattering moments when the world seems like an incredibly beautiful place and you feel blissful and attuned to the whole of the universe. Mm -hmm. But there's also something kind of very everyday and ordinary about it you know sometimes when you get into an awakened state it feels like coming home you know you feel oh this is the way things are supposed to be you know we're not supposed to live in our minds chattering away about the future and the past Mm -hmm. thinking about our problems and our fears and worries that's not you know that's not the way that life was meant to be so when you experience this state of having a, a fairly quiet mind feeling attuned to your body being aware of the the reality of your experience in your surroundings, it feels kind of natural and, and right. Mm-hmm. So it feels kind of ordinary in that sense. Mm-hmm. And, and and I guess that, that's, you know, it is ordinary in a sense because it's the way, it's natural, you know, it's natural and right to be in that state. Mm-hmm. And another misconception is, you know, we've touched on this already, the, the idea that it, it is a goal you know, that there is this goal end point of enlightenment, which we're meant to be heading towards. Mm-hmm. I, once, I once met um, a young spiritual seeker who was very kind of determined. And, uh, and he <laughs> said, <laughs> yeah, he said, um, I'm going to be enlightened by the time I'm 35. I'm going to meditate six hours a day. I'm going to read every spiritual text, listen to every spiritual teacher and make sure I'm enlightened by the time uh, I reach my 30s or mid 30s. But of course, that's not, I don't, I've not seen that guy for a long time, but I'm sure that he's not reached enlightenment yet. If, <laughs> if he said that like that, maybe he learned something on the way. Who yeah, knows? unless he changed his approach. <laughs> but it, uh, it's not a goal in that sense. It's not a goal like becoming a millionaire mm-hmm. or owning a mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when the ego takes over mm-hmm. the, the, mm-hmm. the path of enlightenment. Yeah. But it, I mean, it, it's a process. So it's a process which our whole being, you know, which is, it, which is in some sense natural to us. So when mm-hmm. we latch onto the process, we, when we embark on the journey, mm-hmm. it, it feels natural, you know, and that there is a kind of an impetus which guides us in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But even when we follow, you know, a more fruitful path of awakening, mm-hmm. there is no end point. You know, there is no point where we think, ah, 
now I'm enlightened. Now I can relax and enjoy myself. <laughs> it, it continues forever. It's an endless adventure. It's a, an endless process of expansion and opening and, and deepening. And do you find even within your days, like some days you feel much more attuned and others less so? I mean, obviously this is your space and, and you're quite the expert in this. Um, but do you also notice ebb and flows within it as well? Certainly, yeah. It, it depends on what's happening in my life. So at certain times I'm quite busy and, mm -hmm. you know, life always brings up challenges from mm -hmm. time to time. Sometimes, you know, occasionally I find myself getting caught up in, in thought chatter. Mm -hmm. But... But there is always a sense that underneath that, you know, there is this kind of ongoing spaciousness underneath mm -hmm. that. You know, mm -hmm. I never take my thoughts seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and when I'm immersed in activity, I'm always aware that the activity will only last for a certain amount of time and then I'll be able to return to myself. So it's, it's kind of always there in the background, like a kind of mm -hmm. undercurrent behind my, yeah. all of my experience. Beautiful. Steve, for people interested in finding out more about what you are doing, what you're up to, where would you send them to? The best place is my website, which is stephenmtaylor.com. That's Stephen mm -hmm. with a V, M for Mark, stephenmtaylor.com. And on my website, I have links to my social media pages, links mm -hmm. to articles and, and videos and so forth. So there's lots of information on my website. Mm -hmm. beautiful and your new book so you said it's out now in the u.s is that correct uh and it's coming out in other places in the world soon is what's the the schedule for that and it's the the adventure a practical yeah. guide to spiritual awakening when can people and where can people find it it's just come out in the states and it's coming out in the rest of the world over the next two or three weeks mm -hmm. um i'm having a launch event in london for it on february the 13th mm -hmm. and it's um it'll be available for all from all major online booksellers. You can pre-order it even if it's not even if it's not available right now. Do you have a final ask, recommendation, or any parting thoughts or message for my audience today? I'd like to remind people that even when life is stressful and busy, and even when our minds are turbulent and full of discord and busy contemplating the future and the past, mm -hmm. beneath that surface restlessness, beneath that stressed and discord there is always a, an inner harmony just in the same way that there is always the stillness of the deep ocean beneath the surface of the ocean it's always there so whenever your life becomes a little quieter whenever a space opens up in your schedule whenever your thoughts slow down you can take the opportunity to dive into that inner that deep inner stillness so it's 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 comforting to know that it's always there Mm -hmm. And it's always accessible. Beautiful, Steve. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. For everybody listening, thank you so much for listening to the very end. And yeah, it was so beautiful to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. It's a lovely 